Amen. Let's stand and take our Bibles, if you would, please, and go to 2 Kings 6. And if you get there, go to verse 13, if you would. Our discipleship classes are just making their way in, and we're looking forward to just a great service tonight. 2 Kings 6, beginning at verse 13. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, if you'd be kind enough to share your Bible with them, that'd help them find their place. 2 Kings 6, verse 13. Now, we're going to be from verse, verse 13 all the way down to verse 23, I think. But for the sake of time, we're going to read verses 13 to 18 tonight. 2 Kings 6, verse 13 to 18. And he said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, alas, master, how shall we do? And he answered, fear not. For they that be with us are more than they be with them. Let's say that together, if you would. Verse 16. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed, and he said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite the people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Now, Father, tonight we thank you for the reading of the scriptures. And we know that the entrance of your word gives light. And tonight we are in need of wisdom. Uh, We are in need of a spiritual recharge. Lord, tonight, even as this passage speaks about, we are in need of you opening our eyes to behold the wonderful things of God. And tonight, whatever week everyone has had, Lord, for this moment, we pray would just all come to a halt. You'd have our attention. We pray that, God, you'd clear the, uh, this clutter out of our hearts and our thoughts and take the scales from our eyes. And tonight, open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law. Speak to us tonight about our vision, our eyesight spiritually, even as you did with this young man and through Elisha. And we pray through this that, God, our hearts would be encouraged. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> you know, probably one of the great technologies of our generation has been the, uh, the technology of LASIK surgery. And I don't know if any in here has had LASIK surgery, but I've talked to quite a few people who've had it. And most recently, a, a relative of mine over the holidays uh, who had really, really bad vision, probably as bad as mine's is, had LASIK surgery. And the very next day as he recovered was just delighted that he was able to go from like a 2300 uh, visual acuity to about 2020 in one eye and 2015 in the other eye. And just very delighted about that. And of course, anyone who's, who's gone through, of course, LASIK surgery has been around for over 20 years. But anyone who's gone through LASIK surgery, this is the typical testimonials you'll hear from someone like that. They'll say, I can see for the first time without my contacts or my glasses. I can see 2020 or better. And uh, basically, they'll say LASIK surgery has enabled me to have open eyes. I read the story <laughs> recently of a man by the name of Pierre Paul Thomas of Montreal, Canada. Now, he probably doesn't mean anything to you. It didn't really mean anything to me until I read his story. But Pierre Paul Thomas was a man who was born blind and uh, really not being able to see. And I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I, I, I treasure the, uh, the, the sense of seeing. Amen. And the ability to see things. But can you imagine being world, born into a world of darkness? Not understanding shapes and colors and dimensions and sizes and people. And, and being able to touch but not really being able to visualize. And this man spent 66 years of his life like that. 
And uh, there in Montreal, Canada, one day he was coming out of his apartment and kind of lost his footing and he fell down a flight of stairs, if you can imagine that. Uh, he hurt himself a little bit there and uh, they took him in and took him into emergency and the emergency room doctor looked at him and they kind of determined that uh, he'd injured himself and they said, well, we need to do some, some surgery. And, and it came to find out there that they, they recognized that he was blind and they said, well, well, we've done some x-rays, we've checked you out, we recognize that the bone structure around your eyes seems to be very thin and he'd been born that way. And because of that, he'd had, uh, his eyes had this, 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 uh, this weirdness where they would just go from right to left, left to right, right to left, left to right involuntarily. And on top of that, he had some cataracts on there. And he didn't really realize that his blindness, he thought his blindness was because of the condition he was born with. And as the doctor looked at him more closely, they realized it was the cataracts actually causing the blindness. They said, well, if you don't mind, we need, we're going to repair this bone structure around your head and your face where you got injured. And at the same time, if you don't mind, we're going to take the cataracts off. And they took the cataracts off. And amazingly, this man, uh, Pierre Paul Thomas, was able to see for the very first time in his life. And he was amazed at what he was able to see and the, the discerning of colors and, and uh, images and dimensions and all of those type of things that go with that. And, and uh, the first thing he said is that, you know, my eyes are open and I'm able to see. And tonight we're looking at a passage of scripture where there was a situation that happened and a man had his eyes open. God had to open his eyes to help help him to see what reality was all about. I want you to notice our passage, which actually begins with verse eight this evening. Our passage of scriptures uh, deals where different sets of eyes needed to be opened, not just this young man. In this passage of scripture, we'll see that sometimes we don't really see the big picture as God really sees it. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at this passage and realize this evening that sometimes we have uh, we let our perception of things, how we see things affect our outcome or the actual output from our end of things. Tonight, I want you to look at a message that's entitled open eyes. Go with me to verse 8, if you would, tonight. Look at verse 8. I want you to notice in verses 8 to 11, the very first thing we see this evening, what you notice is supplanted enemy. And the first thing we read tonight is that is that after we, we finished our section last week, you know, the sons of the prophets had moved their location to Jordan, the Jordan River there, and they were building, and we read the story there about the recovered axe head, and even leading up to that, that there was somewhat of a, a time of respite or peace between Israel and the Syrians. And you remember back in chapter 5, the Syrians kind of put out a uh, put out a, an olive leaf out to... to uh, the Israelites, because Naaman, the captain, needed help, and they heard that Elisha, the prophet, could help him. And so the king of Syria, who we believe was Benadad, uh, sent great uh, amount of money and a delegation there. And they didn't go with the uh, thought, thought of, of, of intimidating Israel. They went, sent them there with the thought of trying to help this man Naaman to get well. And, of course, they were delighted that he came back being well and healed of his leprosy there. But that didn't last very long. And as you'll notice here, it says in verse 8, that the king of Syria warred against Israel. So in other words, he decided that, you know, this time of respite and peace was, was over and it's time for us to go back and we don't, we see them as their, as their enemy. And, uh, you know, it's just a reminder to us as we, we start off this passage this evening that the, the enemy, Satan, and the enemy of the world and the enemy of flesh, they, they're not our friends. Amen. The Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. And the Bible tells us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And we know that the flesh is at war with us. And we read about that in Romans chapter 7. And of course, 
we know that Satan is our adversary. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking may devour. The enemy is not, they have no attention to being our long-term friend or being friendly with us. And tonight, we notice in verse 8 that the king of Syria was warring against Israel. You might want to just underline that phrase here because it, it speaks up very clearly to us about some things that will unfold here. Notice in this warring in verse 8, we see the mention of a hidden camp. The Bible says, and the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants. And notice this phrase saying, in such and such place shall be my camp. Now, the, the, the enemy, the enemy, Satan, is a master strategist. He doesn't do things haphazardly. And uh, you'll notice here, he said, in such and such a place shall be my camp. In establishing this war and going to battle with Israel, he decided that he would find a place that would be somewhat covert where they would encamp themselves and they would catch the Israelites by surprise or attack them by surprise. And it says here in verse, in verse 8, that in such and such place shall be my camp. And of course, as you look at that phrase, it's kind of an idea there of the mention that we find in 2 Corinthians 10 about a stronghold. Notice in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it speaks to us about the fact that Satan has strongholds. A stronghold is an encroachment that Satan makes against us. It is an encampment that is well fortified. In fact, the very word stronghold talks about a fortress. It talks about a castle. It talks about a place, a location that is very well fortified. And we find here... Here, that this place, that that's what the king of Syria had in mind. He had a place that would be an encroachment against Israel. It would be well fortified. It would be a place where he would establish himself to attack them and put them at, at a disadvantage. You know, we read through the Bible, there's many examples of, of, of strongholds. Strongholds are Satan's, uh, Satan's desire to camp in your life, in my life, and get a foothold in us. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, neither give place to the devil. In other words, don't let the devil make a camp against you. It's kind of like letting a, letting a squatter come into your home. If you've left your home occupied for a period of time, and the squatter comes in and they start to take control of it. I don't know if any of you saw that in the last couple of months here, but off of 238, as you, if you're coming down 238 towards the church, if you take the turnoff from Oakland to San Leandro, as, you may, as you're coming down the turnoff, you're about to get off the Washington Avenue exit, there was a homeless camp that started to grow from one tent to where, if you, if you notice, it probably got to about 10 tents there, and it was, a, it was a huge encampment there. And I was telling my wife one day, driving, I said, man, someone's got to do something about this, because they're, they're basically taking control of that, and the apartment unit right right, right, right Side, there are probably people looking out their windows looking right at this campment and somewhere along the way someone found out and, and I guess the authorities came and cleared it up and that's what Satan wants to do Satan in a stronghold wants to make an encroachment upon your life and mine and so notice this here if you would, Jericho was, a, was the first stronghold that Israel had to deal with. It was a stronghold that had to be taken down. City after city after city in the book of Joshua, those were strongholds that had to be taken down. The entire land of Canaan was filled with strongholds. And God said, you've got to go in and take those strongholds down. Goliath was a stronghold who had to be beaten before Israel could take down the Philistines. The lions then that Daniel was cast into was a stronghold. The devil looks at you and me and he looks at the next battle he wants to he wants to uh, to attack us at. And he says something like this in such and such a place shall be my camp. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like these marijuana dispensaries that are popping up here in San Leandro are kind of like a camp of the Satan of Satan there. You know, uh, today, one of our, our local high schools had a shut had a close had a lockdown because there was a threat of a possible shooting there. Someone graffitied there that they've got a gun. They're going to they're going to shoot the students. And we're thankful nothing happened. Amen. But it, but it is an encampment that, that Satan wants to do there. In first Kings 13, 
We read about the man of God who listened to wrong counsel. And as a result of that, he, he ate when he wasn't supposed to eat. And a lion met him along the way and it slew him. Can I remind you tonight that Satan's stronghold is such and such a place he wants to make a camp. Many times begins with our minds. Many times begins with our thoughts. With images that we embed in our mind. Or words that we read or something that we hear. Let me remind you tonight that that encampment that Satan might, might want to make in your life and mine might be our, our quest for money. And that can be through the venue of work, through success, through covetousness, the lack of giving, things like that. Many times Satan's stronghold, his encampment may be in the area of morals. He'll affect us in our morals. And in those morals, he'll, he'll entrap our mind. Sometimes that encampment might be through our pride. Sometimes that encampment might, through, be, might be through meddling. Whatever it may be, Satan desires to make a camp in your life and mine. Before we go any further, it would be good for us to remind ourselves, let's take a look at our lives this evening. Let's look at our marriages and let's look at our homes. Look at our, the books that we're reading and the, and the people around. Is there a possibility that Satan is trying to make in such and such a place a camp in our lives? And so that was what the king of Syria wanted to do. He wanted to attack them by, by establishing these camps. But notice in verses 9 to 10, we see heavenly counsel. Along the way, the man of God, the Bible says in verse 9, the man of God, Elisha, said to the king of Israel, isn't it kind of neat? As Satan was trying to war, God was giving counsel along the way. You know, I'm just thankful for that. The fact we read verse 9 here. Now, the Bible says the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place. You know, that's what God's word tells us, heavenly counsel. Beware that thou pass not such a place. When there's, we identify a stronghold, we identify a place, we identify a temptation, we identify a potential sin, we identify a potential area or pit or trap. He says, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the man of God was given enlightenment by the Lord, and he told the king of Israel, listen, there's a camp down there. He's encamped himself. He's there to trap you guys. Don't pass that way. Don't go there. You know, that's what God's word tries to help us with. Don't go there. Amen. There are places we're not supposed to go. There are things we're not supposed to do. There are things we're not supposed to think about. I'm reminded tonight of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 21 to 23, if you'll turn there. And there the, the, the writer Solomon said this to his son, my son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be thy life unto thy soul. And notice grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk thy way safely and thy foot shall not stumble. Philippians 3, 1. I always like to read this as a good reminder to us of things that are safe. He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. And to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for to you, it is safe. Beloved, God gave us his word. God gives us counsel. God gives us preaching to tell us, beware that thou not pass such and such a place. And you know what's interesting? The king of Israel on this instance actually listened to Elisha. And not only that, notice in verse 10, the Bible says that the king of Israel sent to the place where the man of God told him of and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. I'm thankful he listened. And then at least on two occasions, he avoided that location. He avoided casualties. He avoided blood loss. He avoided people getting hurt and people getting injured. And we must remind ourselves that the preaching of God's word is not to entertain us. It's there to exhort us. The preaching of God's word is to, it's like, is, is to warn us, don't go there. Don't go to that place. Be careful. He's not an old fun 
fuddy-duddy trying to tell you just something that, that, that they thought about that day. The Word of God is a warning light. We have to remind ourselves that God's Word is like a signal. There's green lights, there's yellow lights, and there's red lights. The, ra- the red lights are reminded to us, you're to stop, you're not to go any further. The yellow lights are to remind us that they're flashing, it's a warning, be careful, don't go down that way. But the green lights are where we get God's permission, where God says go, and then when He says go, we're to go. It saved this king many times from trouble. You see, this evening, as we look at verses 9 and 10, I reminded tonight of what Paul said in First, Second Corinthians 2.11. We should, we, should be, uh, we should not be ignorant of the devices of Satan. And the more we read God's word, the more we meditate on it, God gives us wisdom and enlightenment. Beware that thou pass not such a place. But notice in verse 11, we see this hidden camp. We see this holy council, but notice heavenly council, but notice something else in verse 11. We see the king, the king of Syria is beset with holy confusion. The Bible says, therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. For he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He was filled with confusion. He's thinking, how did Eli, how did they find out about our camp? We didn't send anybody out. There must be a spy somewhere here. And finally, one of the services we'll see in a minute would wind up telling him that it was Elisha that told him. He had enough sense to know that there was a man of God there in the camp of Israel that told him about this. And all I want to say is this tonight. I'm thankful tonight when God obsessed the plans of Satan. Amen. I'm thankful when we have prayer times. I'm thankful we have victories of people getting saved. I'm thankful we have when we have things going on in our church and God's work in our hearts that Satan is there's a time of holy confusion. And listen, one of the things we ought to pray for, beloved, is for God to send holy confusion to the works of Satan. That his works are upset. There every now and then, instead of Satan winning, it needs to be God winning. I tell the staff this today, you, you pray about this. There's a bill that just got introduced into the assembly. Uh, that, that right now this pending that basically it says this it says that if 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 a, if, if a church gives out pamphlets or information that uh, for someone who's got gender confusion or concern about their gender that contradicts their feelings that basically it could be considered a criminal activity it be considered something that that you can go to jail for and there's another one that's out there very similar to that that you cannot restrict what they read there and you know they're they're just trying to make an additional encroachment it's all satanically inspired. They're trying to make an additional approach to eventually where they're going to say, well, you've got to take the book of Leviticus out, out of the Bible, and you've got to take Genesis 19 out of the Bible, and Romans chapter 1 out of the Bible. And I'm going to tell you tonight, we're not taking it out of the Bible, amen? We're going to keep it in the Word of God. There are just some things about God's Word that doesn't change. Hey, beware that thou pass not such and such a camp. Hey, this is not a day for easy preaching. This is a day for strong preaching of God's Word and reminding our church today and reminding our society that there's a God in heaven who's still holy and righteous and He hasn't changed even though man has changed there. Holy confusion. Listen, we're praying, we're praying for a great Easter musical outreach. Why? Because we want to send holy confusion to the devil. And I'm thankful when the devil gets defeated. Amen? Yes, sir, sir. Amen. I'm thankful he can't get a prey. I'm thankful that his teeth are knocked out. Amen? Yes, I'm thankful for a lion's den where God intervenes and shuts the mouth of the lion. Amen? We see a supplanted enemy. Notice in verses 12 to 18, we see a supernatural enablement. The king of Syria is not happy. By the way, the devil's never happy when you and I win. The devil wasn't happy. Jesus rose again from the dead. 
Stone was rolled away. Came out of those grave, grave clothes. He was breathing again. He took that napkin off his face. And man, he started walking the shorelines of Galilee again. And walking through the city of Jerusalem. And I'm telling you, listen, the devil was highly upset. In verses 12 to 18, the enemy here is not very happy. They're not going to sit down and say, okay, we're just going to fold our arms and pout. And he asks the question, which of us is for the king of Israel? And notice in verse 12, we see, we see the statement made. One of his servants said, none, O my Lord, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Now, there's some men in his army that recognized the power of God was on Elisha. There are some men in his army. They saw the change in Naaman. They saw when he left, when he left Syria, he was a leper. When he came back, he was healed. By the way, when he came back, he was saved. Some people believe that this servant that spoke these words were, 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 were Naaman. I don't believe that. I believe Naaman probably lost his position. I believe Naaman went back there and he wasn't comfortable with the fact that they were still worshiping idol gods. And he said, you know what? I don't need my position because I got a possession. Amen. And I don't need the money because I got the master. He said, and he said, I don't, I don't need silver because I got salvation. And I think he probably lost his position because we don't read about Naaman any further after this. Let's notice in verses 12 to 14, we see a relentless peril. The enemy doesn't give up. I remind you, you might have a victory, but the enemy keeps on coming. And he said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, behold, he's in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And notice in verses 12 to 14, as we read that, here's what happens. They're not content with the fact that they've been overthrown and their, kid, their camp has been unveiled. So they're saying, we've got to find the root of the problem. And they said, the root of the problem is Elisha. So guess what? He assembles his army. He gets his chariots and he horses. I mean, they're going after one man. And they said, an entire army after one man there. Notice what it says in verse 13. Verse 14, Therefore said he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. The peril wasn't over. He said, there's a source of intel. We need to take that source of intel away. And let me tell you tonight, the devil has got a relentless peril against you and me. And one of the things he goes after, notice he was going after the one he was going after the one that's important. Hey, dads, tonight and husbands this evening, can I have your attention for just a minute? If the devil can take you out, the devil can take the father out, the devil can take the dad out, listen, he's paralyzed the family there. Moms, I want to tell you tonight, if he can take the mother out and the wife out and your marriage is upside down and your home is upside down, listen, he'll get the children very easily. I remind you tonight, if he can get the Sunday school teacher, he can take the class down. If he can take the pastor down, he can take the church down. I remind you tonight, the end enemy is coming after Elisha. And by the way, the enemy always comes in great numbers. And by the way, the enemy always comes at night. Relentless peril. So they go down, they're looking for Elisha down there in Dothan. Dothan's about 12 miles away from Samaria. Elisha doesn't know about this. If he does, he's not telling anybody. Nobody down in Dothan knows about it. And we notice this relentless prayer. They're going down there. They're decided, you know what? We're going to get this man. We're going to stop him what he's doing. And by the way, the devil wants to get you and me off our knees. Amen. Right. He wants to get us to keep us from praying. 
Because he realized if he can get us from praying, he can win some more battles. He wants to get us from stopping church because he knows if we stop going to church, that we, we're, he can win some battles. By the way, let, let me help you tonight. We're about one quarter of the way through church. You know somebody's not in church like they should. Let's get them into church. Amen. Let's get them into church and help them stay there so that they're not under the attack of the devil. Notice in verse 15, as all this is happening, the servant of Elisha wakes up very early in the morning. That's a good thing. But as it goes out, notice we see a rattled perspective. The Bible says in verse 15, when the servant of the man of God was risen early and went out, he went gone forth. Behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, master, how should we do? Hey, watch this. The, the servant of the man of God gets up and he looked, he walks outside, he looks around him. And 360 degrees all around the entire perimeter of where they're at is surrounded with chariots and horses and Syrians. And this is first thing in the morning at the break of dawn when all this is going on. And he He's scared out of his wits. In fact, he is rattled in his nerves. His whole perspective has changed right now. He says, the last master, how should we do? His perspective was, what are we going to do? We have no way of escape. There's no way out. He said, what are we going to do? There's more of them than they are of us. What are we going to do? There's nowhere to hide. What are we going to do? We're sitting ducks. What are we going to do? Hey, listen, his perspective changed. He saw the problem, but he didn't see the potential. He saw the problem, but he didn't see prayer. He saw the he saw the army, but he didn't see answers. He saw the giants, but he didn't see God. Hey, listen, what is your perspective when the problem comes? He has no faith that they can get out of the situation, though time and time again, God demonstrated. By the way, the, the miracle just preceding this was the raising of an axe to the water to swim back to the servant there of, of Elisha there. There is no praying. There is no faith. He's the person where he looks at the glass and it's half empty, not half full. What's your perspective when you're taken by surprise? What's your perspective when a storm enters your life? What's your perspective when the trial comes? What's your perspective when a setback comes? I mean, do we come to the Lord, as James 1, 2 says, we count all joy when we fall in diverse trials? Do we, uh, do we, do we thank the Lord for the trial or we look at it as a setback? What's your perspective? Do you believe the disease is greater than God? Do you believe the problem is bigger than God? Do you believe that death is the end of all things and that there's no hope after this life? I mean, what's your perspective about things tonight? And this man, as far as he's concerned, that the problem was bigger than God and the Syrians were greater than the Savior. And he looked at the situation. He said, alas, my master, how shall we do? I'm glad to tell you tonight, even though there's a relentless peril, and even though there was a rattled perspective, what you notice in verses 16 to 19 tonight, what you notice this evening, a remarkable performance. I'm glad when the problem's like that, that's where God comes in. Amen? Amen. I'm glad a problem like that comes. It's a test of our faith, an increase of our faith. And we're going to see a remarkable performance by God and God's man there. We see God at work there in verses 16 to 18. We see God working through Elisha in this situation. Please don't miss it. First of all, notice this evening in verse 16, we see an inspired reality. The very first response Elisha said was this. He said, he said to him, fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with him. Hey, the reality we must face when there's a problem, we are always on the winning side. Amen. 
God is the majority. Everybody else is the minority. He said, they that are with us are more than they that be with us. You say, Pastor, you understand their voices. I don't understand their voices, but I understand the voice of God. Amen. I don't understand their numbers, but I understand God is on his throne. And then he says, fear not. What a comfort. I'm reminded tonight of the Bible promises. The Bible says the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God be for us, who can be against us? Through God, we shall run through a troop. You are not in the minority. You're in the majority. He gives them an inspiring reality. He reminds them tonight. He said, fear not, for they that are with us are more than they that be with them. Hey, listen, we've got to get out of this mentality that God is small and God is not capable. and God is God can't help me. We have to remind ourselves, no matter what the situation may be, God, God is on our side. Amen. We see an inspired reality, but notice an influential request. The servant still wasn't convinced and Elisha started to pray. You'll notice in this, these verses of scripture, this is one of several prayers. And I call this an influential request because it was a prayer that God answered. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I think if he learned anything being around Elijah for 10 years, he learned how to pray, Matt. He learned how to exercise faith. He learned how to get a hold of God. And the Bible says this in verse 17, Elisha prayed and he said, Lord, I pray thee. Open his eyes that he may see. Servants see obstacles. Leaders see opportunities. Servants see giants. Leaders see God. Servants see problems. Leaders see possibilities. Servants see armies. Leaders see answers. Servants see suffering. Leaders see solutions. Servants are gripped with fear. Leaders are guided by faith. Lord, open his eyes. An influential prayer. He prayed for this servant's eyes to be open. I'm praying that God would open our eyes. God would open our eyes. Open his eyes that he may see. God, may God help and open your eyes and my eyes. Oh, God, open thou my eyes. I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The Bible says about, about these, these, the Hagar, the handmaid of Sarai, that, the, that God open her eyes. Hey, may God open our eyes and see the wells. May God open our eyes and see the, prob- probability, the possibility. May God open our eyes and see what we can do, not what we can't do. Hey, listen, sometimes you can get around people who all they see are small things. They always see the problems. They they never see the possibility. I would suggest to you, stay away from people that aren't people of great faith and get around people who've got some great faith. Amen? Because people with great faith, they see what others cannot see. And so there's this influential request. Elisha said, man, this, this young man hasn't learned anything. He's been in the te- he's been to the school of the prophets. He's been around me. He's seen Naaman healed. He's seen this axe had been moved. He's seen God blessed with the 20 loaves of bread, fed a hundred men. He's seen that we took away death out of the pot. He's seen a widow woman, uh, her son healed. He still doesn't get it. He says, Lord, open his eyes. Hey, baby, tonight we need to make our way to the old-fashioned altar or kneel down at our chair and say, God, Lord, open my eyes. God, open my eyes to the things that you see tonight. And so we see an influential request, but notice an incredible revelation. Did he get his eyes open? And the Bible says here in verse 17, And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw... Man, no longer is he just seeing an area of... 
The Syrian chariots and Syrian horses. The Bible says, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. He saw the invisible. He had open eyes. Open eyes see people that are perishing and in need of Jesus. Open eyes see the fields that are white into harvest. Open eyes see the possibilities and not the problems. Open eyes see a heritage center that's filled and overflowing with people in the Eastern musical. Hey, open eyes see that new, new education building when it gets open in June or July. It sees classes getting filled up and people getting saved. I don't know about you, but I walk around our buildings three or four times a week and I walk around the classrooms today with one of our staff guys. We walk around there and I'm just praying and envisioning, God, I can see, I want to see this room filled and I want to see this room, though it says it's seat 50, I want to put 70 people inside her. Amen. I can see faces of boys and girls and men and women. I'm envisioning people that can fill up these seats and take their places. I'm imagining a place where there's going to be prayer meetings going on and people volunteering, get on their knees and faces and begging God. I'm imagining praying for the day. I can see the day when men are surrendering to the gospel ministry and boys are surrendering to the gospel ministry and say, I'll go to Vietnam and I'll go to this country and I'll go to China and I'll go to Latin America to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, open eyes see things that closed eyes cannot see. Open eyes see salvation decisions and not closed doors. The mount was full of horses. Chariots of fire round about Elisha. Boy, it sure changed his perspective. He sure got a big picture revival, amen? Remarkable performance. I wonder tonight if we need to take some time to ask the Lord, open my eyes. We need to ask God to open the eyes of our teenagers. Ask God to open the eyes of our single students. I'm asking God to open the eyes of all of our adults. To see not the problems. And see not what is not there, but what can be there. See the possibilities. But notice something else in verse 18. We see an impressive repetition. In verse 18, when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord. Listen, he prayed a second time. Amen. The fact you're firm forever righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject like passions as we are. And he prayed that it might not rain. He reigned out for the space of three years, six months. But I like this part. But he prayed again. And Elijah knew realized, Elisha here recognized there was more to it than met the eye, if I can say that. Amen. And so he prays again. And this prayer is a little bit different. I mean, he's on a roll. He's on a prayer roll where God's working. He prays to the Lord. He says, Lord, smite this people, these, this mountain filled with all the money. He says, Lord, thank you for your chariots, your horses. But Lord, I, I just want you to show the servant that's next to me what you're capable of doing. He said, smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Wow. That's kind of an interesting prayer. On one hand, he prayed for... God opened the eyes of his servant. On the other hand, he said, Lord, smite this people with blindness. You know, it kind of reminds me back in Acts chapter 14, when Paul, as he was known as Saul, his name changed at that time, and he was there on, the, on that island there of Paphos, and he was in confrontation with Elymas, the sorcerer, and there was, a, there was a battle, there was a tug of war going on for the soul of that one man there. Remember that? 
And the, the Bible says, it says very, very clearly, and it says in order there, that Saul, who is called Paul, was full of the Holy Ghost. And he, and he, and he, and he turns to Elymas, and he calls him, a, I mean, he calls him a child of the devil, and he, he calls him a, he calls him a supplanter and evil, and he, he just tells him what he is right there, amen. And he says, oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And I think what Paul was saying was this, you know what? We've been on this island. We've been trying to win this man to Christ. I've had enough of you. I've had enough of what you're doing there. And he said here, you know what, what I'm going to do? I'm praying right now. The hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind and not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and went about seeking sun to lead him by the hand. Hey, how many of you have ever been out so winning? And, and you're, you're going one side of the street, and coming down the other side of the street, you see a cult come by. Jehovah Witnesses, right? And the other day I was out and I was having a good time with my wife. We're just giving, we're talking to people and getting invites and making follow-up appointments to come back this coming week to see them. And here come the Jehovah Witnesses. about six of them coming down the other side. They're not knocking doors, but they're checking us out. They're kind of looking at what we're doing there. And you know how it is? Sometimes you wonder, well, I wonder, should we change to whatever we do? No, don't change streets. Just keep on sowing, amen? But along the way, why don't you just stop and pray out loud, amen? I've done that in hospitals. I've had people get mad at me at hospitals, things like that. And I just, well, you know what? Let's have a word of prayer. And I start praying for them right then. The boy, they quiet down right away. Jack Howes, I don't, I don't recommend you to do this. Jack Howes was out, was out to making a hospital visit and a doctor looked at him. The doctor said, you're a fake. And Jack Howes said, Dr. Jack Howes said, I'm not a fake. I'm a preacher. He said, no, you're a fake. Whatever you, think you, you say, it's me. He says, sir, I'm not a fake. He said, you are a fake. He said, I'm not a fake. He said, sir, if you don't stop that, I'm going to pray for God to kill you. He said, you won't. I said, I will. And he put his hand on the man's head. He started praying, oh, God of heaven. He started praying and asking God to kill that man. That man said, stop, stop, stop. You're not a fake. You're not a fake. You're not a fake. I've done that one time. It works. I won't tell you where and who, but it works. Smite this people are praying. No, don't you staff guys do that. Amen. Come on now. Or you deacons, okay? Or you or you dads and moms have had it with your children. Amen. Let me do it for you. <laughs> Smite this people are praying with blindness. Hey, who's the God of this world? He's blinded the minds of them to believe not. It's a prince of darkness. And so now the situation's turned around a little bit. And this servant is just kind of watching the background. And Elisha's taking control of the situation. He does what a leader's supposed to do when there's a problem. You're supposed to take control of the situation. May not be comfortable, but let God work through it. Amen. And so you notice here that this servant's eyes were open and he's realizing, wow, you know, God is in great control. He just, God just smote these people with blindness. There's nothing special about Elisha, but his prayers are influential. And he prayed and we're going to watch him pray a third time here. But notice as we close tonight, notice we see a surpassing encouragement. The story's not over yet. A lot of times we will we'll stop, and it's not bad that we do this. We'll stop at verse 17, and we'll build, we'll build a, 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 you know, just a great thought of faith. And, and there are great thoughts of faith, but the story's not over yet. God has something to teach us. This passage is about open eyes. It's opening our eyes to more than just a problem. It's opening our eyes to the possibilities. 
And notice what happens here. Elisha says, praise for their blindness, and God does. And notice in verse 19, God uses Elisha to take this large army of Syrians on a detour. They came to Dothan to get him. And instead, God uses him to get them. And he takes them, and notice verse 19 to 20, he leads them to Samaria. I mean, I don't know about you, what a sight. I mean, it's a comical sight to see, I don't know, maybe, let's just say 30,000 soldiers. I mean, you know, he's leading, they're just walking, they can't see a thing. They're just going like this. I mean, they're at God's mercy. There's nothing they can do. They're just blinded by it. And watch what happens here in verse 19. It says, Elisha said to them, this is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. And this is a, this is this is amazing because they had to walk 12 long miles to go from Dothan to Samaria. I understand running 12 miles is one thing. Walking 12 miles is another thing. Amen. They're walking 12 miles and they cannot see. Everything's pitch black for them. I mean, they're just kind of holding. And maybe one man's got his hand on another guy's shoulder. And the first one on the way says, man, I don't know where I'm going. But he said, follow him. And he's just, you know, and maybe Elisha's holding one of them by the I mean, what a, what a comical sight. The prophet of God's holding one of those men by the, by the hand. And the other one's got their arms on the other person's shoulder because they're trying to find the way. I mean, what a comical sight there. And they get to Samaria, and you can imagine they're tired. And they have no idea where they're at. And Elisha prays a third time. He says, Lord, open their eyes now. Open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes. I mean, this amazing passage. Three times he's praying for vision. Open vision and closed vision. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Watch this. They opened their eyes and instead of them encircling Elisha, Elisha's just brought them to the camp and all of Israel's encircled them because as this whole army's coming in. Listen, the king, Jehoram, the king of Israel and the armies are seeing what's going on. They see Elisha lead. They're saying, hey, we don't know what's going on, but the prophet of God is leading them there. And they're thinking, wow, what we thought was going to be an overwhelming situation against us, God is in control. Watch the situation. No matter how bad the situation is, when there's faith in God and when God opens our eyes, it's amazing how we realize God is always in control of every situation. This started out looking really bad. This turns out to be a situation where God is completely in control. Imagine Elisha as he leads them there. And the, and the Israelites, they're ready. I can imagine this now because they had men of war. That just, you know, I can imagine, get, get, you know, I can imagine this. They're, they're archers with their bows and arrows ready and they're going to shoot. And I can imagine men with their spears and men with their sword. They're ready to take them out. And so is King Jehoram. And notice in verse 20. At verse 21, the king of Israel said to them, he says, he said to Elisha, when he saw them, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? He just thought, well, you know, you brought the enemy to us. I guess what we should do is kill him, but I better get your permission first. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, you're doing everything right already. What should we do here? And notice as we see this tonight, it would have been very easy for Elisha to say, yes, just take them out right there on the spot. But there's a bigger picture than this. Because this detour leads to a sacred directive. Would you notice verses 22 and 23? He says, thou shalt not smite them. What? What do you mean? 
these Syrians meant to attack us. Elisha, they meant to kill you. Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smote those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? No. The directive is this. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and then go to their master. And so Jehoram obeyed. He didn't give any pushback. And he prepared great provisions for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. You say, Pastor, what does that all mean? Look again at verse 22. God's intention was not that they kill him. God's intention in all this is to teach you and me a bigger lesson. He says, set bread and water before them. You know what he's telling us? In life, we're going to have situations and people that are hostile to us. They've established themselves as our enemy. That doesn't mean we're supposed to be their enemy. Amen? And what he's saying there is set bread and water before them. You know, what a, what a picture. It's telling us when we have enemy situation, adversary situation, we're to get Jesus to them. He's the bread of life. He's the water of life. We get Jesus to them. And said, give Jesus to them in great provision. And you know what? At that moment in time, the Syrians are overwhelmed with this thought. They're thinking, wow, they're, they're preparing food and they're telling us eat and they're giving us a feast. And they're sending us on our way after that. And the Bible says they came back no more to bother them. In fact, it says here, it says they came no more to the land of Israel there. They basically turned that water in that situation around. He's basically telling them, listen, you need to love your enemy as yourself. He says, this is the situation you face in a hostile society, a hostile world. Sometimes you feel like you want to put your hands around people's necks and you want to strangle them and you want to get vengeance on them and things like that. And God says, that's not my way. I deal with things. That's not my way. How I deal with our marriages. That's not how I do things with our raising children. That's not how I do things in the church. That's not how I do things in the community. That's not how I do things when people are hostile to the gospel message. He's giving us that principle. It's found in Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. Look at that. He says, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. You know what he's telling us to do? We need to get in the practice of heaping coals of fire on our heads. Amen? We put some coals of fire on our head in a container, like they did back in those days. So somebody whose coals went out, we'd put on the container, and we'd carry it on our heads. We'd bring it over to them so we can warm their fire back up. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 12. In chapter 12 of Romans, he said in verse 19, team. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I believe even in the hearts of Christians that sometimes you can get so hurt or your perception is you can be so hurt or so overwhelmed by things that you're plotting that the day's going to come. You're, someone's going to get in trouble. You're going to say, there, you deserve that. But that, according to the Bible, according to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is not the disposition we're supposed to have. He said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, thine enemy be hungry, hunger, Feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt leave coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome eat with evil, but overcome evil with good. The king of Israel obeyed him. And watch what's going on here. Our society, our society needs to see a real Christianity. A Christianity that does more than others. A Christianity that goes out of his way and doesn't try to make... Uh, enmity with people, but tries to establish peace with them. Listen, we're in a community, we're in areas, doesn't matter, anywhere in the Bay Area, people are hostile to the gospel message. Be their friend. Reach out to them. Be their friend. 
you know, let's, let's go the extra mile these next two weeks here. If they don't take a flyer, go back and bring them some cookies. Or go, if they're allergic to cookies, bring them something. Give them a Starbucks card or something there. But go back there and give them, give them the flyer and tell them, listen, I'm concerned for you. I just want you to come and do something for them. And listen, everybody in life looks at things and thinking, what are you going to get out of this? And what am I going to get out of you? And what we should be looking at life is not what we can get out of it, what we can give to it so God can be glorified there. Dale Moody told this story. He told this story about going to a conference in London. And he heard a man that was pre- that preached, and the man was powerful. And he was just kind of captivated by the power of that man's preaching, the spirit of working his life. And he started asking around, he said, who is that man? And they said, well, he's Dr. So-and-so, and you should know that he's blind. And he said, what do you mean he's blind? He said, yeah, he's blind. He was told years ago that he was blind. He'd give up all hope on as far as having any kind of career or doing anything. But one day in a gospel meeting, he heard the word of God preached in London, maybe under Spurgeon. As a boy, he responded to the message. He surrendered his life to preach. Listen, that man got a burden for other people, other blind people specifically. Watch this. Back in the late 1800s, he developed Braille in 12 different languages. And the man, the blind man's reputation is this. He might be blind, but he's the pastor to three million blind people. And remind me tonight, if you ever get a chance to go with me to Iloilo to be with Dr. Rick Martin. Dr. Rick Martin has men who are blind, who are called to preach, who with their stick make their way around through the jungle's areas, and they get over there, and they preach the gospel to their congregation, faith on Wednesdays and Sundays, and takes those men who get saved, he takes them so winning. I, I, I'm not sure about this, but I think it's the blind, really leading the blind in this case, amen, and in that situation there. And you might notice here, this man here that Moody was talking about, led three, he, he may have been blind, but he didn't let his blindness inhibit him. He could see things other people could not see. Tonight, as we close, may I give you some thoughts, just summarizing what we've looked at tonight. First, let's open our eyes and see that they that are with us are more than they that be with them. Amen. When we look at the problem, let's remind ourselves what Elisha said. They that be with us are more than they be with them. Secondly, open your eyes to the impossible. I reminded when Jesus came that first night when he resurrected from the dead. Remember, he came through the doors and he came to the room of the disciples meeting, and Thomas was missing. And Thomas was not there, and they excitedly told Thomas, we saw the Lord. And Thomas said this, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger to the print of the nails, and thrust my hand aside, I will not believe. You know, Thomas was saying, which is the epitome of most of us as Christians, he, they, we say this, I will see, and then I will believe. If I can see first, then I will believe. Eight days later, Jesus comes back. And this time Thomas is there and he goes to Thomas and Thomas is just kind of, whoa, the Lord's here. And he says, put your put your finger here into my hands and reach forth into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas was realized this was the Lord. and He fell on his face and he face and he said, my Lord and my God. Remember the words of Jesus. And I'll read this to you in John 20, verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. He said, blessed are they that have not seen and yet 
have believed. And my encouragement tonight is we need to get past this place we have to see in order to believe. Let's believe and then let God get show us the invisible. Amen. Just believe God for that. Number three, open your eyes to God's perspective and not yours. The young man's perspective was that they were in a heap of trouble. And the, and the preacher prayed and he says, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And he opened his eyes. He saw the mountain filled with chariots and horses around and fire around the man of God. Ask God to open our eyes to God's perspective and change our perspective. Fourthly, let's remind ourselves that the eyes of the unsaved must see real Christians in action. When Elisha prayed for those men's eyes to be closed, what he really had in mind was to take them to Samaria and to see that the Israelites were bigger people than them. And maybe God help us to see tonight that the world that we're living in, their eyes and their minds are blinded by Satan. They need to see real Christianity in action, real Christianity that loves, real Christianity that has faith, Real Christianity that is that is committed. By the way, if if we show equal commitment to things of God like the world, why does the world even want to come to our church? Amen. If our commitment is no different than an unsafe person. If church doesn't mean any more to us than an unsafe person, why would they be interested in the Jesus that you and I are preaching? We need to pray that God will open, blind their eyes, for, take those blind eyes and make them see, and they'll see something different. May God open our eyes to seeing what real Christianity is all about. May God open our eyes to seeing a real Christianity is a Christianity that's on fire. And real Christianity is a Christianity is like Antipas, the faithful martyr there at Pergamos, who gave his life for the Lord. And may we also be reminded tonight that faithful Christianity and fervent Christianity is a red-hot Christianity, red-hot in our praying, red-hot in our Bible reading, red-hot in our soul winning, Red hot in our giving, red hot in our love for one another. For if these things be in you bound, they make you that ye should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar. And so tonight, let's ask God to open our eyes. They that are with us are more than they that be with them. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. That the Lord will help us to see the perspective from his eye lens and not our lens. May God help us that God would use us to open the eyes of the unsaved and seeing there's something different about a biblical Christianity. Father, tonight, thank you this evening for this wonderful and encouraging passage of Scripture that speaks to us about open eyes. And certainly, Lord, many times we can close our eyes to the truth and close our eyes to things that are that are necessary and close our eyes to the burden and to the call and to the fields that are widened to harvest and the need for laborers. And God, tonight, I pray you'd open our eyes. Open our eyes like you did that servant and open our eyes and seeing the needs of our neighbors. Open our eyes and seeing the needs of our Bay Area community. Open our eyes and seeing that, Lord, that God, that that uh, that uh, many have been invited, yet there's still room. That we compel them to come in, that your house may be filled. Open our eyes to see the needs. Open our eyes to see ourselves. Open our eyes to see our fears. Instead of fear, replace it with faith. Open our eyes and help us to see foolishness. And instead of foolishness, there be truth. I pray for young people tonight. They'd open their eyes. And see the possibility of a life given to Christ. For 40 years and 50 years and 60 years. What you can do through that life. Open the eyes of parents and seeing the potential of their children living for God. 
and praying for God's will to be done on earth as it needs to be done in heaven. Lord, open our eyes this evening. Take the scales from our eyes. Deliver us from the blindedness that's keeping us from seeing the perspective as you see it. Have your way tonight. And then, Lord, tonight, if someone hears without Christ, just as you did with blind Bartimaeus, I pray you to open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. They call on the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And imagine Bartimaeus, as his eyes were open, the very first words out of his mouth were, I can see. I can see. God, may you help us through the prayer of faith to see. To see the heavenlies. To see, God, your vision. To see, God, your greatness. To see, God, your powerfulness. To see you are in your almightiness. To see you in all the fullness of your attributes, Lord. Help us to see tonight. I pray for this in Jesus' name. As the piano starts to play, let's stand. If you need to come this evening, would you come and ask God, Lord, open my eyes. We need open eyes tonight. Are we blinded? Is our perspective blinded? Is our perspective blinded by perceptions and ideas? Lord, open our eyes. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes to possibilities. Open our eyes to people getting saved. The fields being widened to harvest. Let's open our eyes. Would you do that tonight? Ask God to open your eyes this evening. Father, while we're praying right now, we ask this evening that you in mercy would open our eyes. God, yes, we do have an enemy that seeks to war against us. And he says every single day in such and such, such place shall be my camp. It might be the enemy's camping in somebody's thoughts, somebody's home. He's camped somewhere tonight. It may be tonight that the word of God helped us to be reminded about beware that thou enter not such a place that we would heed your word, instructions for your word, not to go down a pathway that God, you didn't intend us to go to. I pray for boldness tonight as Christians in our home and our stand and our walk with you. And this evening, we pray that you'll help us to have a enlarged vision for the things of God. The Bible says where there be no vision, the people perish. And of course, we know that's speaking about an open vision of God's word. But Lord, we need to see your word and the possibilities through your word and through prayer of what you want to accomplish. Father, tonight, thank you for this story. Inspire us. Help our prayer lives to be enlarged. Help our seeing to be exactly what you want us to see. And tonight, as we go forth from this place, Lord, deliver us from those things that would cause us to be scaled and, and, uh, and, and jaded in our thinking and just to see things as you do. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, in this passage, we see the mercies of God. Jehoram wanted to exercise judgment against the, the, the Syrians. And God said, no, it's not judgment they need, it's mercy that they need. And God, help us to be instruments of mercy, Lord, for your glory. Distributors of your mercy through the uh, sharing of the gospel. And, Lord, through Christian testimony of work and school that glorifies you. As each person has their way to go, get them home safely. Bless our paths, we pray. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.